Sometimes when we sing a song like that and we begin the song in our hearts in, in a place of struggle, right? Maybe we're weary, maybe we're fretting, maybe we're worried. And then you start talking about the rock that Christ is and you start talking about like it's in Christ alone that our hope is found. And that kind of a song is what you beat back darkness with right? That's what Ephesians 6 is all about. That's what we've been doing for the past two months is by getting into God's word, seeking the Lord together, we're learning what it means to become soldiers in the army of the Lord and beating back darkness and standing against the forces of darkness in the evil day that we live. So would you pray with me right now. Let's just ask the Lord to do something special in your heart. Maybe you're wrestling with something right now that you need a word from the Lord. And only the Holy Spirit knows how to tailor the word in just the right way so that we get the help that we need. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just sense my need at this point in this moment in the service, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would empty me, and Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit. For, Lord, I pray that you would open each and every heart in this room. Father, we're hungry for you. We live in a day that is evil. We live in a day where darkness seems to be encroaching all around us, but we are reminded by your word and with the clarion call of the Apostle Paul that we can stand in this evil day, in the full armor of God, that we can stand being confident that we can be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. So we pray, Holy Spirit, move upon our time. Father, we plead with you, if there's any distractions in our heart, if there's any struggles going on, Lord, we just pray, would you speak to that? Would you help us? Would you grip us with your word? Would you supernaturally work and do what only you can do? And we thank you, God, that we get to gather, that we have the freedom to be here today. For our first century brothers and sisters, it was not always the case. Sometimes they were on the run and they were literally put to death by the sword or thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. And yet we have the freedom every week to come before you to get equipped, to get encouraged, to go out into the world and share the greatest news in all the world. So we pray, Father, help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read Ephesians up front. And I just want us to look at verse 10. And we're going to read a few verses here and just orient our hearts. The Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian church, who's neck deep in spiritual warfare, who's living in a dark day, who at times is probably discouraged like you and I can get. And Paul says to them, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. That's what the last several months have been about. And then he says in verse 14 to you and I, like this is something we've got to do. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You know, when you read that, I'm reminded of growing up and playing sports. And in every sport that I played growing up, you needed to have good defense and good offense, right? You play baseball, you need to have good defense. You need to have solid, solid pitchers. You've got to have your Nolan Ryans, right? You've got to have good fielding. Because if you're just giving runs away all day long, you're going to lose, Right, but you also got to have a good offense, right? And so you got to have bats nailing the ball and sluggers. You got to have your Babe Bruce, your Hank Aaron's, those kind of people in your lineup, right? So you got to have defense and offense. Football is the same thing, right? You got to have your offense, you got to have your wide receivers, your quarterbacks, and you got to have your O line, and then you also got to have a good defense. You've got to have great cornerbacks and safeties, and you've got to have people who are going to prevent the other team from scoring. And I couldn't help, as I was reading this week and thinking about, we've spent a lot of time dealing with defense. But it's the same reality in the spiritual life, right? You've got to have good defense, which is what the armor of God is all about. But you've also got to have good offense as a Christian, and what's our offense? It's the word of God, right? It's the sword of the spirit that Paul says, take it up, right? So we've, we've got defense. We've got the belt of truth. We've got the breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We've got the gospel shoes that are going to prepare us and ready us for battle. We've got the reality that we need to take up the shield of faith because the flaming darts are coming. Right, And we're on the battlefield and the devil's launching and he's not sleeping or slumbering, but he's going to come at you with everything he's got. He's going to come at your family. He's going to come at your friends. He's going to come at your thought life with everything he's got. So you better have the shield. And then you've got to have the helmet of salvation. You've got to know who you are as a Christian. If you don't know you're saved, if you don't know what it means to be saved, right? You're not going to stand defensively against the forces of darkness when they come. You're not going to even realize that you're in a great battle. And when the going gets tough, 
you will have no confidence in the Lord if you don't really think you're his, right? That's defense. And then we get to this reality that is important and as good as defense is in the Christian life, and you absolutely need it. That's why we spent two months on it and acclimating to the worldview of a spiritual battle that we're in, right? We need all of that. But sometimes you need to learn how to go hard at the devil with the word of God. Sometimes you've got to learn what it means by the power of the sword of the spirit to punch the devil in the nose. Sometimes you've got to pull the sword out of its sheath and take a hack at the kingdom of darkness. And that's exactly what I want us to do today. That's exactly what I want us to, to see from this text, that it's not this docile, passive text. This is warfare language. This is take up your sword and get into the fight and don't fall asleep. Souls are at stake. Your family is at stake. Your marriages are at stake. Your parenting is at stake. Your neighborhood, right, hangs in the balance, heaven and hell. So it's been said it's not enough to have the word of God in our homes. It's not enough to have the word of God maybe even in our hands or in our desks or in our living room. But we must take up the sword and go on to the battlefield of life, fighting the good fight of faith. Right? Like Paul is trying to get in our hearts that we are actually going to be dealing with real life combat situations. Right? Like, you're in the trenches. And he wants to put a sword in your hand that's not like any other sword. So when life hits you, when reality comes punching you in the face, when the devil's arrows are lobbed, or when he tries to come up and get, there, get in there up close and personal, right? Are you able to pull out the sword of the spirit when it counts? Are you prepared to apply the Bible in a parenting context? Maybe when your son or your daughter is making terrible life choices. Are you able to grip the sword of the spirit when temptation just comes right up into your face and it looks so alluring? Are you prepared to wield the sword of good news when lost people are in your life? Or is the sword still in its sheath? Is the Bible still on the desk? Is it collecting dust? Or do you take it with you? Do you strap it on? Take it with you, prepared to use. 
So this whole thing really kind of struck home for me as I was in the Marine Corps. I was a new Christian, and I was just getting introduced to the Bible. I didn't really know anything like about the Bible, but I got saved. I knew Jesus was real. I knew he saved me. I knew I once was lost, but now I'm found. I knew that once I was in darkness, now I'm in the light. I knew once I was dead, now I'm alive, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go hard for Jesus. And my pastor told me, read my Bible and study my Bible. And he challenged me, like, if you believe this is the word of God, and it is, if you believe this is a sword, and it is, if you believe this is our only offensive weapon, right, in terms of the armor, prayer is too, but the sword of the spirit is our only offensive weapon that Paul lays out for us. So if I believe all of that, am I going to read it? And so I wrestled with that, and I just resolved, like, I'm going to take a Bible, and it was this green little Gideon Bible, one of those ones that's just like, you know, super teeny, and it was like green camouflage, and it was issued in the Marine Corps, and I took it everywhere. So I'd read it on my breaks, if I was waiting in line for something. I just had it everywhere, and pretty soon I'm just thumbing through the pages, and I'm in the world just doing life, right? And I didn't even know what was happening to me at the time, but, but I'm starting to, like, literally take this thing everywhere. And pretty soon, people started seeing it, started asking questions. They started conversations with me, and there was a sword in my pocket and I started to realize what was happening and I started calling it my sword like I have my sword with me so every time I left my barracks I made sure it was with me and as I'm like as I'm doing this God begins to shape and mold a worldview that sees this book as so vital to everyday real nitty-gritty life where you live it because people are gonna come up to you with problems and will you know where to go in the word of God? You're going to face problems. You're going to get a diagnosis one day. You're going to get difficulties coming into your life. You're going to go through struggles. You're going to go through temptations. You're going to fall on your face and wonder, what does the word of God say about being restored? Biblically. So, so like, we need this, Right? So when Paul says to us in verse 17, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Like we're being reminded that a spiritual war requires spiritual weapons. A spiritual war with a spiritual enemy requires spiritual weapons that are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, right? The Apostle Paul, I don't know who the Apostle Paul is, but the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.3, listen to this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So he's like, we walk in these human bodies, but we're not waging war physically. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You got a stronghold in your life? You need spiritual weapons. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And how are you going to do that without the word of God? Without the sword? Without pulling it out? Right? And the text we read calls for it, right? Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is a supernatural battle. But you have been equipped. And the Apostle Paul, just like he told the Ephesians, he's telling you today, through the Holy Spirit, he's reminding you that you have a weapon. To lay hold of when the going gets tough. So that's what I want to do today. I want to help us orient in some swordsmanship, right? I want us to get our hearts around what is the sword of the spirit? How do we use it practically in our life? And what it looks like to start taking a hack at the devil, right? With the word of God. So let's just turn to that. Right now, point number one, the sword is the word of God. And you see it right there in verse 17, right? This isn't an ordinary book. This isn't just like Robinson Crusoe. This isn't crime and punishment. This isn't, you know, the catcher in the rye. This is the sword of the spirit, verse 17. And the sword of the spirit, Paul says, you got to take that up, which is the word of God. And I like that because you don't want to mess this up, right? The sword is not the spirit, right? The sword is not the Holy Spirit. It's the sword of the spirit, right? So, so this sword is of divine origin. This sword has a divine source, a divine inspiration, a divine power, a divine ability, a, a kind of power that no other book has, that no other word has. It's, it's, it's truthful, it orients our soul with what, who God is. It comes from God. It's without error. And it's the only book in the world that is God-breathed and utterly true in every word. And we can bank on it. And that's what Paul told young Timothy. Right? Paul told a young pastor, he said, 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable. It's profitable for you and for me. In what way is it profitable? Well, it's profitable for teaching, right? It's profitable for reproof or correcting behavior, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So every good work that you do in the Christian life, every attempt to wage warfare as a soldier in the army of the Lord, everything you do is contained in this book to equip you and fit you for battle. God has disclosed it for our good. So I'm just thinking to myself, like, is there any 
other book worth investing our time in. I am all for Christian literature. I'm all for Christian biographies. They have their place, but no other book is divinely inspired. And any book that's going to teach you something about this book needs to submit underneath this book, right? And it's going to show you, oh, I see that too. So when you're reading, when you're reading other books, you've got you to gotta test it to the word of God. And you've got to make sure that they're actually telling you what this book is saying. I mean, talk about the most important thing you can do with your life is to lay hold of this, to mine it, to meditate on. We're going to get into this, to mine it, to meditate on it, to memorize it. Right. Because it's not like any other book. Listen to Psalm 19. And it's incredible, spectacular depiction of the word of God. Let it just I want this to roll over you, right? Psalm 19 and verse 7 says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. They're more valuable than everything you got in Fort Knox. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So what, what are we being told here? We're being told that the, the word of God is perfect and it can revive a weary heart. And where you turn to when your soul begins to get de depressed and begins to be shriveled and whittled down, what you go to to revive and bring life back into your soul is the word of God. Right? The word of God is certain or sure, which means it's trustworthy. You can stand on it. All through Ephesians 6, we see this language of standing, right? Verse 11 says that we got to put on the whole armor of God, which includes the sword of the spirit, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Right? Verse 13 says that we can withstand and having done all to stand. And then verse 14 says, stand therefore. And that very imperative to stand is carried all the way through to verse 17 when it says, take up the sword of the spirit. So we're being told from an Old Testament psalm that we've got to stand on this book. And it's like soul honey. It's going to be, be sweet as you begin to take and eat and devour. But we're also reminded that this is a powerful word. This is the word of God. This is the, the, the word of the God who created the heavens and the earth with a word. And he spoke it into existence. In six days he created everything. Then he rested. 
And he holds the universe together by the word of his power. This word is powerful. And that's why the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.12 could say, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is a powerful scalpel that cuts to the heart. The word of God is a mirror to your soul that shows you what you're really like. And every single one of us will be exposed on the final day before the one whom we must give an account. And that's why we need to lay hold of this book because it points us to our need and it points us to King Jesus, who's the only one who can rescue sinners. It points you to your need, it exposes your need, and it points you to the rescue. Right? How do you think it revives a twisted, shriveled soul? Because it points you to a Savior. So many of these things are basic, right? They're basic realities of the Word of God. The Word of God is 66 books written by 40 authors over thousands of years that has a unified message that has been breathed out by the Spirit of God for us. And the, the message that is so unified around the person and work of Jesus and the Old Testament points forward to Jesus and the New Testament points at Jesus and then expresses the reality of what it means for Jesus to come and enter into a people and save a people and then mobilize a people to take the message about Jesus into the world and flip it upside down. Right? That is what the Word of God does. And God used human authors preserving their personalities. It's not like Peter got all robotic and he was like, oh, cannot help myself. You know, like he had a personality. You read Peter, it sounds like Peter. You read Paul, it sounds like Paul. And yet God moved in such a way upon these men that they wrote exactly what he wanted them to. And that's what we see in 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit, verse 17 says, right? It's the sword of the Spirit. So we need to just be in awe and wonder that the God of the universe tells Christians in the army of the Lord, in the reality of living in a spiritual battle, that we're to take up this book, and this book is our sword. And I can remember 
one of the most powerful descriptions as I open my Gideon's Bible. And every Gideon's Bible, to my understanding, has the following words. And it's some of the most precious truths about the Word of God. It reads as follows. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine is holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. And it goes on to say, it's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, paradise is restored, heaven is opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, and our good is its design. And the glory of God is its end, and it should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. This is the word of God, and there's nothing else like it. There's no other book that knows you and that exposes you and that draws you to the Savior. But the word of God does. There's no other book that's like a cool drink of water in the middle of a desert oasis. There's no other book that's like honey on your lips and provides sweetness to your soul. So this is the word of God. That's the first thing that Paul wants us to get a hold of when we're thinking about how, how do I, what is this sword of the spirit, right? Second thing we see is that we're, to train our hand and our hearts to wield the sword. I mean, how do you use the sword of the Spirit? This is something I've been praying about because I feel like one of the things that's keeping you out of the book, one of the things where the devil's just in your face, he's like, you can't read this book. You cannot read this book. It's too big. You can't get your heart into this book. Go to some talk show. Go to some self-help book. Go to some quick cliche. Don't read the book. That's how the devil talks to you. But this book is said to be, right, the word of God. And it's good for equipping us for every good work. That's what Paul said to Timothy. Paul didn't go like, Timothy, like, don't bother about the book. Like, this is going to be too hard. They're not going to get it. Right? He said, preach the book. I charge you before God, preach the word in season and out of season, convincing, rebuking, exhorting with all long suffering and teaching. Why? Because this book is alive and it's life giving and it points you to Jesus. And that's what the people need. So it's been said, right, that we must take up God's word by God's spirit, in God's power, for God's glory, right? 
The, the people of God are called to wield the word of God. So we need help so that we can take action, right? We need help to understand, like, how to get a hold of this. And I think maybe one of the first things that we need to just be aware of when we're thinking about the word of God is, is that the devil is trying to get you to treat this like an ordinary book, right? Like, it's just one book. I just pull it off my shelf. I'm going to read it. There's no spiritual reality to it. Like, I don't have to pray about it. I just read it. But this book is spiritual. It's supernatural. It's getting you in touch with its author. And so when you open it up, the first thing you do is you pray. Like, you pray over this book, right? That's, that's the way the Bible tells you to study the Bible. That's not my opinion, right? David prays like this in Psalm 119 and verse 18. This is what he says when he opens the book. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I love it. Lord, help me see. Show me wonderful things in your law. If you're not seeing wonderful things from the book, perhaps you need to pray and ask God to show you. Like, open me up to the world of Ephesians. Open me up to the world of the spiritual realities that are going on. Help me to see this book. Help me to be gripped by this book. And when the word of God is prayed over and approached with that kind of reverence, oh man, it grips you. Then you start to treasure it. Then you start to delight in it. Then you start to be moved by it. Then you start to be shaped by it. Then you start to declare it. Then you start to share it. That's what this book is all about. So we got to pray over this book. But it's not just praying that we need to do. We need to meditate on this book. Think about it for a little bit. Like, you got to let this book rattle around in your soul. you got to open yourself up. Like, like Lord... I'm just like, lay me open with this book, right? Are you willing to lean into the Bible and let it examine you? Are you willing to sit before the bar of God's word and let it do surgery in your heart, right? That's ultimately what we see in the posture of the scriptures. There's a desire to meditate and grow and understand. And the psalmist says again in Psalm 119, in verse 15, he says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And when meditation is like picturing a cow, you've got a bunch of cows out here and they're chewing grass. What are they doing? They're just like, you know, just like chomping on that grass and they're mulling it over and over and over. And perhaps some of the farmers in here can tell you about that process, but it's pretty nasty. But they're chewing on it. All of those, right, all of that nutrients being released, they're processing it. And some of us just have no time for the word of God when it comes to that. It's like, this is God's book and we just have no time for it. It's like, I'm too busy for it. And it's our lifeblood. It's an IV that you need to hook up to, right? Hmm. 
Psalm 37, 31 says, the law of his God is in his heart and his steps do not slip. So not only do we need to pray about it, meditate on it, we need to memorize it, right? We need to hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against the Lord, right? That's what Psalm 119.11 says. I have stored up your word in my heart, Lord, that I might not sin against you. Some of us are struggling deeply with paralyzing, difficult sins that we cannot break free of. And the answer the Bible puts forward is to memorize the word of God. Hide it in your hearts. And you know what happens? It's like storing up an acorn for the winter. Like, ooh, I've got this thing. I've got this, I've got a word bubbling up for the temptation. The devil's coming at you. He's rushing in, right? And this, remember, this is a sword. This is a sword. The Greek word makaria is, means sword. It's a short sword. It's about 18 inches to two feet long. You've got to get right up in there in the, the, the enemy's face and use it. So this is a kind of close quarters combat. And you need to be memorizing the Bible, to deal with darkness in your life. So we got to memorize it. We've got to meditate on it. But we also have to study the word of God. You've got to go beyond. Those two things, memorizing and meditating, help you study. Because it slows you down. But we got to learn how to study the word of God. And Paul told Timothy this. He said, do your best, right, to present yourself to God as one who's approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth or rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul was saying, study the book. Like, lay hold of this book. Slow down. Stop the busyness. And start to study my word. Because thy word is a lamp unto your feet. And a light unto your path. So I once took a fencing class in college. And I know, I know. In California, apparently they want you to know how to use a sword. But not a gun. But at any rate... It was this fencing class, and you had to, like, dress up, right, in the full gear and garb. And they taught you how to stand. They taught you how to grip the sword. They taught you how to lunge for attack. They taught you how to parry the enemy's attacks, right? There was all sorts of ways that we were learning and studying how to do the art of fencing, the art of swordsmanship, right? I'm reminded of, of Willow, right? When the main character of that movie is Willow, and he's got Mad Mortigan, this guy who's, who's this swordsman, but nobody thinks he's that good. And then all of a sudden, he starts wielding that sword around, and, and Willow's like, you are a master swordsman. You know, it's like, whoa, this guy is like off the hook. That's how I want to be. Like, I want to be skilled in the word of God. I want, to, I want to take the time that it takes, just like I had to learn fencing, and it took time and discipline and effort 
and to sit down, to get in a Bible study, to dig in, to buckle up and go deep. And you can do it on your own. And you can do it in groups. Women of the Word, WMU, Brotherhood. Right? Go deep in the Word of God. And remember what Paul said. All of it is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching and correction and instruction and training in righteousness. That you might be equipped. So there's no better use of your time than sitting down and getting serious with the word of God. Now, I planned on being heavy in, at this moment. I was praying for like to get the right heart around it. But listen, to be quite honest, we're just lazy. We're lazy when it comes to our Bibles. We, if we really confess that this is the word of God, that it's a sword, that we're in a spiritual battle, there's a real devil. What kind of time, right? What kind of time will we be spending in God's word? It should be elevated, right? Other things should be cast aside. We've got plenty of time for Netflix. We've got plenty of time for video games. We've got plenty of time for, for all sorts of crafts and different things. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But when this sinks to the low part of the totem pole, then we've got mixed up priorities. And we need a stern encouragement from the Apostle Paul when he tells us, take up the sword of the Spirit. Look at verse 17 really quick one more time. Notice that at the very beginning it says, and take the helmet of salvation. Remember last week we learned that that word means to grasp or to take up into your hands. To like grasp with your hands and take up. It's a, it's a word that, 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 that pictures somebody grabbing a hold of a sword. Right? And it carries over to the end of the verse. It's not like Paul's like, well, yeah, just leave your, your sword on the shelf. You know? Leave, what we need to do is just stand next to the sword and by osmosis, it will learn how to use it, right? He doesn't say any of that. He's like, get it in your heart, meditate on it, study it, memorize it. One of the reasons we have somebody at the end of service come up and share a word that they've stored in their heart is to remind every one of us that we can do it. The reason you don't is not because you can't. It's because you won't. The reason you don't is not because you can't. It's because you won't. Our minds are filled with useless details, right? I have tons of useless information in my mind that I know. is always like, how do you know that actor's name again? How do you know all these movies and all this stuff? Like, why do you know all that? But how much of the word of God? Is in my heart. How much of the word of God is in your heart. When the day of trouble comes. That you're able to draw from. Last point, And very briefly. We've seen right. That we got to know what the sword is. We got to learn how to use the sword. And now we've got to take some hacks with that sword. On the devil's attacks. Right. The whole imagery here implies warfare. 
It implies we're dealing with the devil. It, it implies that you don't just passively live your life, but you got to run up and smack the devil in the nose when he comes at you, right? What did Luther say in his famous hymn? The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, but one little word out of Christ's mouth shall fell him. I added that last part, but it's the same idea, right? One little word from the word of God shall fell him. And we got to remember that like the, the, the devil had the audacity to get up in Jesus' face when he walked the earth and tempt him. He, he had the audacity to get up in the devil's face, or sorry, in Jesus' face, and tell him what the word of God was saying. And he twisted the scriptures into a pretzel. And Jesus faced that head on, right, in the wilderness and told the devil the word of God, rightly divided. You remember that scene? We read it earlier. Matthew chapter 4. Imagine you're coming in and it's the great showdown. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's praying. He's fasting. He's in his most vulnerable place. And the devil comes. And he's going to come at you like that too. Perhaps he's already come. Perhaps darts are in your back today. But notice what Jesus does. It says in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice that. like the, He's led by the Spirit into warfare with the devil. And so are we. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus shows us what it looks like when the devil runs to confront, he comes with the sword of the Spirit. And he meets him in the battle. He doesn't run, he stands with the Word of God in his hand. The devil brings temptations and lies. Jesus brings the Word of God. The devil twists the scripture. Jesus proclaims the scripture. The devil comes in hot and heavy. Jesus backs him down with the sword of the Lord. Full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. So I want us to hear this just really pastorally for a moment. Like, maybe you have failed miserably. To apply this book in your life. Maybe you want to get back like 20 years. 10 years. 5 years. Maybe you failed to bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. But you can resolve today. To take up the sword of the spirit. The devil doesn't have to steal the rest of your Christian life. Heed the word of God and take up the sword. Maybe you failed to lead your family as a husband, 
as a father and you feel like you're limping along. But I charge you based on the word of this book today. Resolve to take up the sword of the spirit. No more excuses. Stand on the book. Maybe you feel like after a message like this, I feel so far from being a person of the word. I feel like it's hopeless. That is the enemy talking. And Jesus said to the devil, it is written. You shall not. Right. He, he said right here. Man shall not live by bread alone. Don't just try to eat by life just doing ordinary stuff. Eating, drinking, being merry. Going to work, coming back. Step into the adventure of the Word of God and take up the sword of the Spirit and live for King Jesus in this world and labor for souls. May the warrior rise up in you. Grab your swords and get going with the word of God and take God at his word. This is the call of this text. Stand, therefore, having taken up the sword of the spirit. For it's the word of God. Don't leave home without it. Show up to church with it. Show up to work with it. If you got to put one in your pocket, don't leave home without it. This is our lifeblood. So let's lay hold of this command and this promise and wage the good warfare in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this wonderful epistle to the Ephesians, Lord, we, um, we're reminded, Lord, that we are called to a supernatural battle and that the battle belongs to the Lord, but we're called to be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might and to take up the full armor of God. So I pray, Father, would you work in us a fearless tenacity that would be willing to take up the sword, to learn swordsmanship, to study, to think deeply about the word of God. And Lord, help us. Lord, let the excuses fall to the ground and let us take up the sword and do violence against the darkness in this world for the salvation of sinners and the glory of your name. So we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.